I'm Maria, and welcome to the 3L podcast series, Limited Liability Leadership, Raising the Bar in Leading the Bar. Thanks for checking out our upcoming limited podcast series developed and produced by Class 8 of the W.N. Reese Smith Jr. Leadership Academy program of the Florida Bar. Hi, this is the Limited Liability Leadership Podcast, where we'll discuss raising the bar and leading the bar. My name is Christina Mills, Assistant State Attorney with the Miami-Dade State Attorney's Office and a member of the Florida Bar Leadership Academy, Class 8. Today, I'll be your host discussing conversations with bar leaders. I'm excited to introduce our guest speaker, current Florida Bar President, Dory Foster Morales. Mother, wife, firm leader, and Miami Beach native, President Foster Morales began her career at the United States Environmental Protection Agency, where she worked both in Washington, D.C. and New York City. Upon returning to South Florida, she served as an assistant state attorney for the Miami-Dade State Attorney's Office, where she tried 65 cases to verdict. Board certified in marital and family law by the Florida Bar and by the National Board of Trial Advocacy as a family law trial advocate, she was awarded the Legal Luminaries Award by the Dade County Bar Association as the top matrimonial and family lawyer in Miami-Dade County. President Foster Morales is also a fellow in the American and International Academies of Matrimonial Lawyers, a fellow and member of the Florida Bar Foundation, a fellow in the American Bar Foundation, and a fellow in the American Academy of Matrimonial Lawyers Foundation. Elected to the Board of Governors in 2008, she has chaired the Certification Plan Appeals Committee, the Bar's Annual Convention Committee, co-chaired the Special Committee on Health and Wellness of Florida Lawyers, and served on the Communications and Legislation Committees. President Foster Morales, thank you for taking your time to join us today. Thanks so much for having me. Now, you have certainly experienced a uniquely challenging term as president, unexpectedly being tasked with leading the bar through the COVID-19 pandemic. But before we jump into some of those challenges, let's start from the beginning. What inspired you to run for president of the Florida Bar? Oh, wow. So I think it was really go back to what inspired me to even get involved with the Board of Governors. And what really inspired both of those things was my belief that women needed to take on leadership roles and that we're not always so good at doing that. Um, I ran for the Board of Governors because um, there had been one woman of the eight members from the day delegation. That woman retired, uh, left the Board of Governors, and eight men filed to run to replace her. And it was kind of shocking to me at the time. My son was pretty young. He's 19 now. And I thought to myself, I don't understand. Out of eight members, there's only one woman that's on the board. She's retiring and there's no women running to replace her. And that was kind of shocking to me. Um, Sadly, while that race was going on, uh, there was a real tragic loss of a member of the Board of Governors through an untimely death. And I said to myself, I need to run. And it really came out of my belief that if I don't do it, who will? So I ran for the Board of Governors. I was elected. Um, and so it was really my belief that I think that, you know, I, I don't want to say that, you know, I don't, I, I don't want to even talk about equality. I think men and women are different. Some we're, we're better at things, I think, than men and some things. And I think it's important that we have a diverse 
voice on our board because we're a diverse group of lawyers and we represent a diverse group of clients. And that was just really, uh, you know, motivated me. And I ran for president because, you know, I do think my leadership style is different than some of the others. And it's not even about being better or worse because I've I don't have that kind of ego. It's about different and different flavors where I come from having been a government lawyer for almost 10 years, having, you know, a child with special needs, having to also be a wife, you know, to run a small law practice. Um, I have a real diverse background and I think I, I, I hope I feel like I understand where other people are coming from. So let's talk about what were some of the goals and initiatives that you had planned to implement prior to becoming president? You know, in in March of 2020, the pandemic hit and I would have been sworn in. I was sworn in mid-June. So I actually had a little bit of a head start. So I was starting to really get together what I wanted to do. Lucky for me, the thing I cared most about, which was mental health and wellness, I had been working on for many years So I'd started it, let's say, four years prior, and I was definitely going to keep pushing out that platform. That was really important to me. The idea was in in June when I spoke, we would push out after the convention a free mental health and wellness line and free therapy sessions for our members. We ended up moving that up because we're like a pandemic hit. Let's like not let's you know, let's take down the 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 need to do it in political years. Let's do it now. And John um, Stewart, past president, was wonderful, and he agreed to roll it out. And he was, you know, gave me a lot of credit. I give him a lot of credit for helping to create the program. Um, so when I really took office in June, it was to me all about how do we survive this? How do we survive it mentally, physically, financially? And it was really about the pandemic because it was just. It was so overwhelming. You know, what else could be more important than just sort of getting through this incredibly difficult time? So given that, that mentality of, you know, how do we survive this and that underlying question, um, I'm going to kind of pose that question back to you in terms of how did you prepare, you know, professionally and mentally for becoming the Florida Bar President, especially when you were given that little small heads up as a I mean, nobody knew at the beginning of COVID how long it would actually last, right? But we all knew that even for at least a couple of months, there was going to be a a big change that we need to prepare for. So how did you prepare mentally and professionally? Well, I mean, I, I, you know, it's called radical acceptance, right? You accept what you can't change. So you're right. None of us thought it would be a year. I think we all had this weird belief not based on any good data, but just based on, I think, where how our brains work, that, you know, yeah, we'll shut down, but, but you know, we'll get back. You know, there was this, there was always this moving target date. You know, by August, the kids will go back to school. Now, we had no good base belief for any of those assumptions, but I think it's the way our brain processes because it would just be too overwhelming to say, oh, hey, Yesterday, your office closed down and figure you'll come back in a year and a half. I mean, we would have all gone into toxic shock, right? right? So we, our brains works in such creative ways. So what I can tell you I did when the pandemic first hit, and I wasn't always so good about it, but at the beginning, I was like, I am going to rigidly exercise. I'm going to make sure that I exercise because 
this there's a lot. I ha- still have to run a firm. I have to be president of the bar. I have to practice law and deal with my stressed out clients who are also going through a lot. So I took this really rigid, you know, position on exercise, which I have been pretty good at. I would say my eating is not as good as my exercise. That has sort of gone up and down and I, you know, probably gained a few more pounds than I wanted to, but that's the story of my life, you know, and I'm trying really hard as I grow not to give myself such a hard time about the things that may not have as much meaning. It's not easy for me because, you know, everyone has their family of origin and the crap they put on you. And my parents were, you know, rigid about us not being overweight and putting us on Weight Watchers when we were 10 years old. So I've tried to, you know, not be quite like that. Um, But, you know, it's hard. So I would say that I tried really hard to take good care of myself. Now, I have issues sleeping and I've always had, I've had issues sleeping for a long time and that's, that's also not been so great. So I, I really tried to figure out how I can physically and mentally withstand all these changes. Yep. And that's really important. That's been a really important theme that I think we've seen a lot come from the bar. And I think that that kind of shifts again to my next question was how did um, like, you know, once the pandemic actually hit, we were midstream and we realized, okay, we're not going anywhere anytime soon. How did some of those goals kind of shift or change or or refocus or how did you? Um... Well, I mean, I think w- what I said was, okay, I'm not going to, you know, normally the bar president g- gets on an airplane or jumps in a car and runs around the state of Florida. I mean, talk about an inefficient way to communicate with people. I mean, this is a big darn state. And if you live in the Panhandle or in Key West, that it's not easy. Those are not easy places to get to. No. So I, what I really said was, how can I best communicate with my members knowing I'm not going to go to a bunch of voluntary bar events? And I got to tell you, what a great communication staff we have. You know, we're here doing a podcast with some of them. Honestly, they they we immediately shifted. We figured out. What we're going to do, we, you know, organically, I'm a, you know, I'm not a note taker necessarily. I'm not a like, keep my notebook and keep things straight. I'm like, I, I got sworn in and I called up Josh Doyle and I said, I think we need to do 20 town hall meetings in all judicial circuits in the next two months. We need to figure out what's going on. And by the way, when when we said we're going to do this, I didn't really even understand exactly how we would do it because how do you have a Zoom screen with 250 people on there? So, but my my concept was we got to go out there. We got to use the tools we have to communicate with our members. And I made myself completely available to any voluntary bar that wanted me to speak at their group because how easy is that, right? Zoom in, zoom out. Wouldn't have been so easy otherwise. So what we did was so much of what a leader does is to make people feel good about the organization and to communicate with people. And I, I'm, you know, the president is always the, the, the face of the bar. And I try to be really out front of that. And that became sort of my goal. Touching on working with the tools that you have, this was definitely a year where we all had to take our lemons, you know, and make lemonade as the proverbial phrase goes. So this pandemic forced us to make modifications to every aspect of how we practice law from transitioning our homes to co-work slash school spaces for 
us, our spouses, our kids, whoever else is there, the dogs, because they need their space too, okay? Converting public courtrooms to virtual platforms, um, managing clients virtually, navigating various privacy issues and authentication issues in virtual settings. There were just so many issues that we had to deal with. Um, so of the many changes to the practice um, required by the pandemic, which ones do you believe are positive changes that you think that we should keep and could ha- really help us improve the way that we practice in the future? Well, you know, um, it's a really good question. And I think we're probably going to be studying that for the next five years. You know, personally, I believe that there are real efficiencies, especially on things like motion calendar Um, Because, you know, think about access to justice, which is something we're always so worried about. Instead of a lawyer spending an hour and a half or two hours commuting to a courtroom, getting into a courthouse for a five-minute hearing, you zoom in and zoom out for a five-minute hearing. So there's an access to justice issue. The cost of legal services become efficient. Um, For those that can't afford a lawyer, I know you're in the criminal justice system, in the civil justice system, in family law, which is where I'm an expert, that's where I practice, there are so many pro se people. And imagine the guy that works on the public's loading dock that has to take a day off of work, even if he's representing himself, to go to a motion calendar, because they're day laborers. That guy can stand to the the side on the loading dock and do a five-minute motion calendar. So I definitely think the short evidentiary hearings lend themselves beautifully to Zoom. I think, you know, certain depositions, think about the people that spent time running around, getting on airplanes, doing depositions in remote locations. We've become very proficient in that. So there's a lot. The question is, where do we draw the line? Because I do believe, Christina, that in-court proceedings have their place. There's a dignity to a courtroom, to a proceeding, this, the, the seriousness of a divorce case and when do you see your children and how do you divide an estate and having people's attention because they're not on a loading dock. They're actually in a courtroom looking at a judge in a row. And that is going to be the million dollar question. How do we thread that needle? That needle will be thread over the next few years. I know that that's what we're all talking about. But there are some really fantastic things that came out of this. So I think that's the really positive thing is that we jumped into action. We figured out what works. You know, I got an email uh, a few minutes ago from the clerks saying they wanted to update me because, you know, originally we were filing our exhibits for civil court in advance. We're still doing that. But they were only in black and white. So a judge is looking at a black and white picture. How do they see the bruise on the kid that I want them to see? or my color-coded beautiful schedule that I want them to see. So there are a lot of like intricacies that are going to have to be worked through. But I will tell you this, the practice of law will never be the same again. I agree. I don't think it will ever be the same. But, but, you know, and, and I cut my teeth really as a trial lawyer, as a prosecutor. And I learned so much by walking from courtroom to courtroom. And I remember other young lawyers watching me saying, I remember there's a lawyer in town. She goes, Dory. And she's she she's a very senior lawyer now. And she goes, I remember it was your last couple of weeks at the state attorney's office and you handled a bunch of home invasions. I go, I had a, a rash of home invasions and I did a double jury trial with no help. 
no, no second seat. She goes, I walked into a courtroom and there you were sitting alone. And like all these lawyers on the other side, you know, you learn so much by watching others. And I had a strategy in that case. So my strategy worked. But my point is I need lawyers to not only be in court, this is a better way to practice, but I need them to see other lawyers practicing. It's going to make our bar more proficient. We know you don't really learn how to practice law in law school. And I need people to have relationships so they get involved. You know, we go to bar events, we have interactions. We're not just meeting on a Zoom screen. There is definitely a balance to be struck because there is definitely a convenience. Even at the state attorney's office, we see when we're having to conduct our pre-file conferences, when we're making filing decisions, that there are a lot of victims that can't afford to take off to drive downtown you know, for a 30 minute meeting, pay 10 to $20 for parking, you know, when what's supposed to be a 30 minute meeting turns into an hour and a half, two hours sometimes because of the parking and the traffic, you know, just to press charges and get more information. And, you know, having the opportunity to take those statements virtually really is more convenient. And we're able to spend more time actually talking to them in a more comfortable environment for them. But there's also the balance of, you know, we've seen cases and whether it's, you know, hearings or pre-file conferences where, you know, especially I work in the domestic violence realm and we have victims who are sitting next to their abusers off screen, you know, and we've seen at least two cases, one that I was just working on like this past month with uh, an uh, abuser that was actually tampering with, you know, the victim during a a court hearing um, via Zoom. So we have to balance those things. And also with, you know, new lawyers being able, the benefit of new lawyers being able to have that physical in-person contact and watch the more experienced ones in court and say, hey, can I get your card? And establish that um, that mentorship there and, and that networking. There's definitely a benefit to being in person. So... I definitely yeah, I mean, we're you. like you know, there's there's not going to be a one size fits all. We do see more access, meaning people are more participatory when they can do it through Zoom. More people are are, are abiding by, you know, their subpoenas. But you know, I mean, Christina, this is you know, like I said, this is going to be a an odyssey. Yes, uh, and it'll be interesting to see how it works, but. Uh, for sure, for sure, all of those things are going to need to be taken into consideration in making those institutionalizing some of these changes. Right. So going back to your presidency and some of your challenges, what was one of the biggest obstacles that you had to overcome this year? You know, um, I don't really feel like I had an obstacle. I mean, I, I feel like I really didn't. I mean, that would I don't want to say I'm not overly positive. I'm not overly negative. So I think once I kind of like, you know, the radical acceptance of what I was doing, the obstacles were really in your brain. Like, you know, you and I are having this conversation right now. We're looking at each other. I know there's this is a podcast, so it's not a, a, a video, but you and I are looking at each other. And I feel like I've created rapport with you. If I see you, I'd hug you. It's great to see you again. And I, so I think part of it is to sort of to sort of accept in your brain that this is the same communication. And it, 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 yes, we could be in the same room doing a podcast with like a me in front of one speaker and you in front of another. But if you kind of like accept that this is your reality, it, 
it's okay. And I think what I did to deal with it is I, 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 I accepted that these virtual platforms were the same. They lack some things. It wasn't, there's no, there was generally other than some wine tastings I did, there didn't involve a glass of wine or a cup of coffee, but I really tried hard to make it feel sincere. And so I think it was just training my brain to do that. So I wouldn't say it was an obstacle. It was just sort of a growth. I speak at a big seminar, family law seminar every year, and it's about 16, 1700 lawyers that watch it. And we did it virtually this year. It's called Cert Review. And a lot of people said to me, you were really good, Dory. Some of them were just not good. And the thing about being president is I had to very quickly become relatively proficient at speaking into a Zoom screen. And so I do it a lot. So I would say that the, probably the reason I was a little better is I was a little bit more physically self-aware of what it's like to talk into a Zoom screen. I knew a little bit better about how to manage my notes. I knew a little bit more about how to fake the idea that I was talking to a group instead of my own face. And I just think there's all of that. So I would say that the challenge was to retrain my brain to communicate in a wholly different way. And I really felt like it's very lucky. I felt like I met the challenge. I, I got to tell you again, the group of people and the communication staff, they really, they mentored me and they helped me do these things. So I'm very grateful for the support that I got. Right. And to some people that are not used to peace speaking in public, that may not seem like a big thing, learning to, you know, speak on a Zoom screen without an audience. But for lawyers, especially litigators, you know, we feed our energy feeds off of the response that we got, the eye contact and the emotion that we're seeing in the room. We know whether it was to turn up or turn down or, or kind of go mid-level. We know how, like what points are sticking or not. We really feed off the energy in the room. So well, imagine telling a joke <laughs> to a Zoom screen. Exactly. And I do it. Like I did it, like, you know, or show a really funny video, like, Okay, like I know you should be laughing, but I have no idea in three weeks when this video plays what the heck is going to happen in <laughs> fifteen hundred offices that are watching this. But you know, you figure out how to do that, you know, to sort of play that role. How did you handle the burden personally and mentally of leading the entire state um, through these unprecedented times? You know, you say you feed off of the, you know, the people in the audience. I mean. The burden was shared by so many people. I mean, I was the face of the bar, but don't forget, we have an incredible bar staff, a, a board of governors that really went above and beyond the level of work. They're what they did. You know, I handled the stress by sharing it, not being a control freak, managing it with these incredible group of volunteers and staff. So um, the court system is our partner. You know, we really formally are part of the court system. Our powers are delegated by the Florida Supreme Court. We had tremendous support from the Supreme Court. I personally felt like I had support from them as well as from all of the courts. So, you know, I really didn't feel like I was shouldering the burden in any kind of personal way. I felt like I was the face, but I, the burden was shouldered by just so many people. And I have to do a sh one shameless plug. Shameless plug is I have a great family, right? They're, you know, I have a great supportive husband. I have, an, you know, amazing kids and, you know, extended family and moms and stepmoms and, 
And, you know, I, you know, any burdens that you shoulder when you have a supportive group of people behind you, a great law firm, a great law partner, you know, it, it's much easier. Like I said, it's, it's never alone. It's, you know, it's obviously a village. So what do you regard as your biggest accomplishment of your tenure? So, you know, you, we talked a little bit about this before the podcast and it's, if there's an accomplishment, it wouldn't be a rule or a, a, you know, I could say all sorts of things. I could say, well, you know, we accomplished getting that, you know, free mental health line up, um, therapy for our, our members, which I think is so important. We got this great, um, you know, uh, like best practices manual done for things, um, for, for appearing in a virtual hearing. We have this great COVID-19 um, recovery task force. Like we did a lot of good things, but if personally, if I could have made, it would be six, I would have been a success if I was able to fully communicate with people who wanted to communicate with me. I mean, every member of the bar does not want to communicate with the bar, but I could reach out to people, get feedback, try to help them feel like they weren't quite so alone and isolated in this difficult time. That would be a success to me. You know, it's hard to say if I did that, um, but that was certainly my goal. And I think I mentioned to you when we spoke before as well that I think that you did do an excellent job at that. I thought you were present. You know, I love that you did all of the town halls and took the time to not just do one big town hall for the whole state or even regionally, but you did so many of them to make sure that you could really uh, address as many small groups as possible, recognizing that different all of these different regions are so unique and have different needs. And you were not only present at you know, those town halls, but you were present at a lot of the bar association events and things of that sort as well throughout the year to make people still feel seen and remembered by the bar. And you weren't, you weren't just there with your screen off, you were there with your screen on engaging as well. And, you know, we appreciated that, you know. Well, I mean, I, I, I have to tell you, the, the town hall meetings, like I said, it was an organic brain um, sort of thing in my head that this is what we should do. And I don't know where it came from, but I will tell you this. I never thought a statewide town hall could be done in that way because we our state is so diverse. It's so different. When I appeared at the 19th versus the 11th versus the 13th, I mean, such different groups, such different lawyers, such different communities. It was really very rewarding. So it was a lot of work, but it was very rewarding. So I, I was very grateful to be able to do that. So in closing, what advice would you have for current attorneys who have goals of climbing the leadership ladder within the Florida Bar? So for sure, my first piece of advice is become a good lawyer. Don't forget that honing your craft is so important. I feel like I love being a lawyer and I feel like I have done that. I mean, I don't know how good I am. I, I try to be good, um, but I think that some people jump into bar work and they, they, they view that as sort of an either or, and I don't. I think that the best board members are people who are also excellent lawyers. Um, so as a young lawyer, remember, get involved, but not at the expense of your, you know, your career development, your professional development. Remember that there are a lot of ways to get involved and there are lots of sort of what I would call trajectories. Mine is different than so many others. Um, I think that getting involved 
either in a voluntary bar locally is so wonderful. You, you meet mentors that way and friends that way and develop relationships, which I think are great. Um, I ended up getting involved with the family law section, which really helped me to become a better lawyer, was sort of at the forefront of changes and so forth. That's how I ended up becoming board certified. So I, I think you have to do something that you care about with people that are like-minded with you so that you can, it's a, it's a, it's a pleasant experience. In other words, you know, this is supposed to be enjoyable. I mean, one of the things that I wish more people did was get involved with bar activities, whether it's voluntary bar or the statewide bar, because when they do, they always see how great it is. They meet people. I've met so many friends that I would have never met otherwise. So different than me. I mean, crazy different than me. And, um, so I, I would say find find a little group and just start kind of working your way up. Get involved with a committee. Do a good job. Lead the committee. Do a good job. Go to another committee. You know, it's sort of like work up that ladder and see where it brings you organically. You, you know, I became president of the Florida Bar, but I tell everyone, if you had taken a poll at my law school of the person least likely to be president of Florida Bar, least likely, I would have won that election. So, you know, there are a lot of things and don't let like your own preconceived notions get in your way. Just get involved, do pro bono, do bar service, see what floats your boat and, and follow what I would say are your passions. I think I think my favorite points from those were don't get in your own way and also hone your craft. You know, be as good at your profession as you are at what you're doing in the bar. And to just add another, my own shameless plug, you know, this experience with the Florida Bar Leadership Academy, even though it was quite different because of COVID and a lot of our stuff was virtual, you know, we still had to do the same thing. We had to make lemonade because we couldn't, you know, meet in person for all of our events and where we're structured to travel all over the, the state and see these different areas and meet in person, but even just meeting virtually and forcing ourselves to create our own Zoom happy hours and events and things of that sort. You know, this experience has really been rewarding to meet new people outside of our jurisdiction and just establish those contacts and learn about how things are done differently other places. And it is definitely inspiring. So I'm so glad. I'm, and I hope, you know, I know that the next leadership class, people have already applied. Yes. But there'll be one after that. And this is I, I'm a big proponent of a leadership academy. I was on the board when it was created. And I say, I would say the face of our board of governors is highly different now than it was 10 years ago before the, the leadership academy. So there's a lot of uh, graduates who are now on our board and I encourage more to do that. That's awesome. Well, President Foster Morales, this has truly, truly been a pleasure. Um, thank you so much for your dedication, compassion and tireless leadership through a year that will undoubtedly reshape the legal profession. Thanks so much, Christina. I believe that's all the time that we have for today. On behalf of the Leadership Academy Class 8, thank you once again for taking the time to speak with us. Um, and that will wrap up today's episode of Conversations with Bar Leaders. Thanks for joining us today on the Limited Liability Leadership Podcast. Don't forget to check out the other episodes to learn more about raising the bar and leading the bar.